You're listening to Boston Strongcast, a place where we talk all things powerlifting, strength, and the occasional scientific nerd session. I'm your host, Kevin Can, the owner of Precision Powerlifting Systems, strength coach and competitive powerlifter in the USAPL. Thanks for tuning in, and let's get stronger together. Hey guys, this is Kevin Can with Boston Strongcast. I'm joined today by John and Vin. So they're two of PPS's lifters, but they also compete as power lifters, obviously, but coach competitive power lifters. And we're going to kind of discuss how we've evolved as coaching, as coaches over the, uh, over the period of time. I was actually having this conversation with Jason Tremblay in a couple weeks ago where like, we were just kind of talking about how we changed over the course of time. And I was thinking that it was a, uh, a good topic to uh, bring up on the podcast and to get some different perspectives on it. Uh, yeah. but, so to get things started, I'll have you guys kind of give some background on yourselves. Um, we'll start with you, Vin. All right. Um, well, I'm Vin. I'm from uh, Western New York, so Buffalo area. Um, in terms of lifting and, and coaching and what have you, I opened a gym about four years ago, Kenmore Barbell and Fitness. Uh, at the time, honestly, I didn't even want to coach. Um, and things just kind of evolved from that, and we'll get into that you know, later on in the podcast. Um, lifting wise, I've been lifting for about five, six, seven years or so. Um, been pretty competitive for the last three with, uh, some injuries here and there. So that kind of derailed some things, but we're back on track, uh, in that regard. Um, and then that's, that's about it in terms of that. I don't want to get into too much uh, other details. Um, and just life in general, you know, is, is is life it's enjoyable um i like what i'm doing and i'm just you know i'm excited to be on the podcast and, and just share my my insight how long did it take you to grow that mustache uh about honestly probably about a year um now it's just kind of maintaining it and you know doing whatever you know i feel like doing with it um did you take a periodized approach into growing the mustache <laughs> uh no actually it's it more linear honestly um but <laughs> But yeah, now it's been kind of periodized. I, you know, I switch it up from time to time. So, Var- variation is important. So, it's, yes, certainly is. John, little. I know I've had you on the podcast before, but a little background on yourself. John has a beard, not a mustache. No, He's kind of the antithesis beard. of Vin. Beards are um, beards are cool too. I can't grow one, so I'm I'm kind of you know jealous. <laughs> well, I didn't know I could until I started. So that's that's the key for me. Um, I've been on before. I was part of the nerd crew uh podcast before um i've been coaching and competing in some various form flipping back and forth between powerlifting and weightlifting for about 15 years um that has been a weird evolution starting off in like teenage forums and now to where i am now the lead instructor for clinical athletes powerlifting course and an online and live powerlifting coach. So uh, it, it, it's been a lot and also a clinician. So that, that helps. Um, but yeah, we can get into the weeds if you really want to about the evolution because it's been a long journey. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get into uh, trying to think of like the, the best place to start. So maybe we'll start with um, Kind of, so Vin, you open up the gym, yep. you didn't really want to coach, but you started to get lifters that kind of needed some guidance into competing. 
kind of like explain how you started them out and uh, kind of like what your programs and what your coaching looked like uh, during that period of time. Sure. Yeah. Like you said, um, or as I said earlier, when I opened the gym, I had no intentions of at least wanting to coach at the time. Um, the reason for opening the gym at the time was to just give people a place to train uh, because in the area it just lacked. Um, and then, as you mentioned, you know, I had some lifters come in that needed some assistance. And so, you know, I decided, Hey, why don't I, why don't I give it a go? So I offered to, you know, help them out for free. Um, and I kind of was learning as I went. Um, and in the beginning, I honestly had no idea what the hell I was doing. Um, it was kind of just, you know, plug and chug and see what worked and what didn't. And that got me only so far and then I hired at the time I was still working with Jason so I got inspired by his coaching um, so I discussed with him a little more as to you know how programming worked and why he chose the program the way he does and so I started implementing some of the things uh, we had discussed um, without you know taking verbatim what he would program for me and we saw some success with that uh, we had modified some of the things he would do. And and then from there, you know, I got stuck again. And so I had to just start exploring different avenues. And, you know, here we are now, you know, four years later with uh, roughly 35 athletes, you know, under my belt. So I actually, um, John, I'm going to have, because I, I think you said some like really important things there about trying something and getting stuck that I think uh, we've all probably experienced. Uh, John, I kind of want to hear how how you started, like what the programs look like, what the coaching looked like at that at that given time. At, at, when I first started. Yeah, when you first started coaching powerlifting. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so when I first started coaching powerlifting, there so there's two phases. There's the one where I was just coaching myself. There's the one where people started trusting me to coach them. Uh, when I first started coaching myself, it was just read on the internet, read on the internet, read on the internet and do everything. So I did small log four times, twice for my front squat, twice for my back squat. I've done a Bulgarian Oak program that Christian Thibodeau wrote that was just awful. I mean, it, it, it was it was challenging and I, my legs grew, but it was, it was tough. Um, I've done Greg Everett stuff, Bob Takano stuff through for, for weightlifting. Uh, I've done Mad Cal 5x5. I've done starting strength. I was in 531 for a long time. I've done conjugate training. I've done I've I've done a lot. Um, and the transition for me when it really started with coaching was I had I, I fell into a group of some really good guys and some really strong guys. And I just kind of impromptu became like the, the ghostwriter for all of our programs. Like we didn't, we didn't have like a, a, a coach or a crew that one guy was, was the main guy. We coached each other pretty hard, but I did all the programming. And then that started to shift as I just continued to read and study and reach out to go to seminars with Chad Wesley Smith and you know, read everything I could get my hands on. And through their grace and trust, I, for years, I just used them as guinea pigs. And it was experimentation after experimentation after experimentation. And then they kept getting stronger. 
because anytime they got stuck, I would just change something. It's like, well, this isn't working anymore. We got to figure out what the hell's going on. So I would go in another direction and sometimes that wouldn't work. And sometimes it would work. And I never really threw anything out that didn't work, but I definitely started throwing out a bunch of BS like BOSU balls. Um, and then because those guys got really, really strong, that's when everybody else started to take, and I don't want to say take notice, but start paying attention. And then it all kind of went from there. Now it's 70, 75 athletes, I think is what I'm up to at this point. Um, and it just continues to grow and I continue to learn because when you have a sample size like that and you just continue to grind with it, you, you're learning every day. And I, th I think that's a really good point, right, as a sample size. So, like, when I first started coaching powerlifters, I had a very small group. And it's, it's very manageable because, like, you can put all of your effort into, like, that, those couple people and kind of figure stuff out. Um, but once you get a larger group of people, it starts to really bring up some questions about what you believe to be true. Because it might work, you know, I have 50, around 50 lifters now. And when, when I do something, it might work for 40 of them, but there's 10 that are just not going to respond to something that would have worked for the other people. And, like, I think my learning curve got exaggerated as my group began to grow and I started to get a larger sample size of people to kind of fuck around with, with things with. And uh, was this a similar case for you, Vin? Yeah, uh, more so now, um, as my, again, sample size has gotten larger. Um, just, again, like you said, you're just screwing around with things, seeing what works, uh, what doesn't. Um, sometimes, you know, we, we move completely away from a comp lift uh, if I start to sense any type of, like, negative mindset towards it. Um, because no matter what, you know, if your mindset sucks, it's just not going to go well. Um, and I've found that some lifters have just been having a hard time uh, putting together their comp lifts if, you know, their mindset's not there. So I just peel that away, you know, completely and we just, you know, hammer away at a different variation or just find something that works and, and keeps training fun for them. And it's uh, so far seems to be working, but, um, you know, that's only been like a handful of folks. So we'll see what happens if uh, that becomes, you know, a much larger sample size in the, in the future. Yeah, and I'm sure we're all going to run into walls and we're going to have to make some decisions and make some changes and stuff. You bring up a good point about mindset. So I know for me, when I had first started, the program was everything. Like, whatever I wrote on that piece of paper, you do it. Like, you know, if it says 70%, you put 70%. If it says five sets of five, you do five sets of five. Um, like, the program was dictating training. Like, I didn't take into consideration athlete mindset or anything other than that aspect of it. Now, in hindsight that is the exact opposite of how I coach now. But without doing that initially, I don't think I would have arrived to where I'm at now. Like I tell a lot of the newer coaches that I coach that you gotta, you gotta learn those general principles first and understand how they play themselves out in the gym before you can be flexible and adaptable at your decision-making on a day-to-day -day basis. So I, I think I was fortunate enough that I actually just forced myself to do that and that's what I did and I'd run into a wall and eventually I ended up here. Um, we'll start with you, John. Did you have a similar experience when you started coaching? Oh yeah, man, the program was the, program was the thing. 
Like, uh, you didn't, you didn't kind of take anything else into account. And I really looking back on it, being a programmer, so to speak, is, is very egocentric. Um, if you have the mindset where you're, you're coaching athletes and the program is what matters the most and, and the outcome is dictated by your programming, it takes a lot out of it and just kind of puts it into your own ego. So if you have success, then it's look what I did. Right. And if you, if it doesn't have success, then if you look at, you know, our conversations with John Kylie before it's, well, what did my athlete do that they didn't follow my program because my program should have worked. <laughs> so and I, I've never, I don't like being that kind of person. So the psychological aspect has always been appealing to me when it comes to performance. So that was a pretty, pretty quick progression to all of a sudden, you know, Vin mentioned comp lifts. I'm, I'm to the point now where I don't even really define a competition lift as long as it's with a straight bar and they can meet the standards dictated by their federation because I, I want them to go on the platform with whatever they're strongest with right now. And that's going to manifest over time and kind of emerge over time. So my programming has to be very flexible with their mindset and their performance. And before it was very rigid, which would put people into a box and at times create yeah. massive frustration. And you know, not the frustration part I think is, is obviously like you guys, you know, lift with me. So you, you understand that sometimes the program becomes, cause I'm putting you in these awkward positions and you're not hitting the weights you tend to hit. It can be extremely frustrating. I do feel that there's, there's a good, um, a good learning component, uh, mentally and like training skill that can be learned from those, uh, those aspects. I, I literally was going to say something and just had that, uh, that thought, uh, float away from me here. Um, but, I think too, you know, I, I would get into these situations where, yeah, if the program worked, it's like, yeah, we're right. Everybody else's West side sucks. Like, you know, we're, we're doing what we're supposed to. And then when it didn't work, it's like your nutrition sucks. You're, you're not sleeping enough. You're outside stress. It's, it's definitely not me. It's definitely, it's definitely not the program. Um, but you can only run into that so many times before, you start to be like, well, maybe it is me. Like maybe I'm not doing the things that I, that I should be doing. And I think how any coaching process should work, it's exactly that. You do something, you run into a wall and you start to figure it out. Um, so Vin, when you would have your, you know, you're coaching your lifters, you run in, into that wall, you look to other coaches for some help. Is there any other are there any other places that you kind of look to help get you out of those ruts at those given times? Uh, no, not really. Sometimes I just sit down and, and just think, you know, logically, what could we do? Um, what areas are they weak in? And then I just kind of implement some type of variation for that. Um, I have reached out to you at times uh, to discuss uh, certain things. Um, I've seen a few things on Instagram from other coaches that I, you know, I can trust and I have respect for. Um, I've implemented some of those things, um, but really it's just a lot of trial and error at times for me, um, you know, within reason. 
Um, I'm not just slapping stuff on paper and saying, hey, go do this. Um, if it works, great, we'll keep going. If not, you know, we'll just throw it away. Um, but, you know, I have made some uh, some audibles on, on the fly at times with some lifters. And it's, you know, been 50-50. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So um, it's just, you know, whatever resource I think I need, I'll, I'll, I'll go there. Um, if, if I can just sit back and just think for a moment and take the logical approach, I'll do that as well. So have you had lifters that have been with you from the start? Um, yeah, I've had, well, I had one recently who was with me from the beginning. Uh, one of my, the, the girls that I had coached for free, she recently started doing more strongman stuff. Um, so she's been on a little bit of a hiatus. Um, so, no, a lot of my lifters now have been fairly new. Um, I just added a few more. Um, so a lot of them have really no experience with a coach before. So I try to keep that in mind as well since, you know, I don't want to overwhelm them too much. Have you had lifters that have been with you for a long period of time, John? Uh, yeah, actually, the majority of them. How, how do they respond to uh, – how do they respond to um... – you changing things up? Were they uh, always on board or did they give you any uh, blowback? I normally don't get blowback. I try to transition that s smoothly, um, which can be difficult at times. The one thing for people who've been with me for an extended period of time, uh, it is actually a little bit difficult to change some of the rigid rigidity in the mindset. So, <clears throat> Let's just take the comp squad example. Anytime you deviate away from that, there's a little bit of like, well, you know, how is this going to help? Or we, if you make a, a small change, it's, yeah, but we said this, you know, two years ago. And it's like, well, that it changes. These things are malleable and they're, you're going to progress as a lifter as you continue to learn and other things will shake themselves out and we just have to make another change. So sometimes, especially early on when I was definitely more black and white, this is definitive, this is how it should be, which I've gotten so far away from at this point. Um, that mindset has carried through for some of them. And it, it's been a little, it's been more difficult to change that, but they're on board with it at least and trying. That's all you can ask, right? And it's not like if you're making these, well, I know for like, for me, the, the shift didn't happen overnight. It's happened over the course of, you know, three, four years now. Um, so like, I think of like somebody like Carrie, like she's just basically a frog in a pot of water that has been slowly boiling over a period of time. She doesn't know that shit's getting hotter. Like she's just kind of like stuck in, stuck in that situation. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I don't typically get a lot of like, from the ones who've been with me for a long period of time, a lot of like blowback at all. They're just like, hey, this makes, makes sense, let's do it. But they are very curious. Um, Vin, you cut out there for a minute, but you made a really good point about not overwhelming the newer people. Um, I think yeah. in the beginning when I started like taking on my own group of people, you know, they'd come in and I'd be like, hey, you know, what have you been doing? like for lifts and like, you know, they would lay something out and it may be drastically different. And I would just be like, Nope, we're going to do this now. Like, you know, I think you made, I think you're trying to say you kind of meet them where they're at now. Uh, maybe you can give an example of what that looks like. Cause I, I, I think that's really important. Sure. Um, yeah, I kind of just try to meet them in the middle. Um, I have a, 
a questionnaire I send out um, for any new athlete um, just to get some background information on them, um, some information on their, their training in the past and currently, and just seeing how often they, you know, train each, you know, you know, the squat bench and deadlift. And cause I don't want to overwhelm them with too much volume or too much frequency that they may not be able to handle at first. Um, and we just kind of discuss, you know, where, you know, they'd be comfortable with how many days a week they want to train, uh, stuff of that nature. And then we put something together and over time, it just kind of builds itself. And at times you'll find them wanting to do a little more within reason. So if they're only training three days a week to start, we may implement a fourth day if, uh, you know, if it's, if it's feasible for, for both sides. Um, so, I mean, it's, there's no one particular athlete I have in mind. I've been doing that probably with the last 10 to 15 that I've added to the team. Um, and it's been working fairly well. So we'll just keep rolling with that until, uh, I guess we had a wall and we got to make a change. So John, when you get, let's say you get somebody, let's say I'm coming to you for coaching John and, I love my high volume, high frequency program, and that's really what I want to do. How would you handle a situation like that currently? Uh, actually, I've, I've transitioned a lot of people from either end of that spectrum. So the the squat every day, max every day type to the I really enjoy sets of eight and ten and a lot of hypertrophy work. I, I feed the beast a little bit up front, and I, I always – I want people to know when we start that the whole thing should be a learning process, that when they walk away as an athlete, they should better understand the principles of training and where we're trying to get people. So in my questionnaire, very similar to Vin, I do ask to get four four to eight weeks of their previous programming and what they've been doing so that I can transition them a little bit using something they're familiar with as I educate them in the direction that we want to eventually go. And the nice part is, is as I make that transition with an athlete who's like stuck, if if they're self-professed to be stuck, yet they're still going to do the same thing they've been doing over and over and over again. And I can sneak in work that I think is going to make it better. And they start getting better. And then I can say, okay, well, we've, we've changed a few things. We want to start, continue to change them a little bit. And then I just slowly morph the program. And then each time I make changes, I make sure to slide in a little bit of education there. Hey, look, this is why we're making this, this decision. This is the direction we want it to go. We'll see if it works. If it doesn't work, then we'll figure something else out. But that communication needs to remain high so that I can transition them fully. On the other end of the spectrum, there are other people that come in and they just want to start with just tell me what to do. Right. Where it's like, just however you program, just program for me. Um, and in that case, I'll probably start off a skeleton and just see what they can handle. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I like, I have a different, I don't meet them with where they're at when they first come to me. So like, I don't give them a questionnaire. We, we chat like, what. What's your training look like now? What do you like about it? What don't you like about it? Why are you reaching out to me? And so I kind of get some like information from there, but I like right off the bat for them to understand who steers the ship. So that, and then over time, I kind of give them a little bit more control over the things that happen. But, you know, I explain my, myself along the way, like, hey, we're going to start really small. 
you know, three days a week, maybe one exposure, two exposures of each exercise. And we'll kind of, we'll build it up from there. But this is where we're going to be to start. Like, you know, I've had, I've had kids come in and like, they start warming up by grabbing the foam roller, get the fuck off of that thing, put it up against the wall, get under an empty bar. Like, just so that they understand, like, there's an authority figure here. And like, I, this is what I tell the group in person. It's a democracy until it's not. So like we can have conversations and we can discuss training, but at the end of the day, if I think something's best, I'm the coach. I'm going to put it on that, on that piece of paper. And the longer that somebody's with me, the more experience they have as a lifter, the more leeway I give their decision-making process. So you kind of earn the right to, uh, to kind of make those decisions. Um, well, do you think part of that is also a byproduct that, really in power in the strength sports in general there's still not as ingrained of a coaching culture as there is in other competitive sports because there's a lot of powerlifters that come from a background of coaching themselves so they have this kind of dualism about their own personality where they've been in the driver's seat but they've also been the athlete at the same time so when they actually experience a coach it takes time for them to take just an athlete role as opposed to trying to do both. Yeah, no, I definitely think um, I definitely think that that plays a role. And I, I, you know, the strength sports haven't really been, you know, I don't know of anybody who went to school in this field who were like, you know what, I'm gonna go get a master's degree so I can be a powerlifting coach. And and I think that's why like the market is such a free for all. Um, it kind of gives you that one, like you were saying earlier, this this being a coach in powerlifting can feed your ego more than any other sport like you are literally controlling every aspect of their training and competition and it's so simple and it gives you that that opportunity um i also think it's a sport without role models too so like because you don't have those like in this country like you know somebody like shako and you know louis simmons is kind of nuts but he's been coaching for a long period of time there's just no role models for what a good powerlifting coach should look like all we have is this information on how to make a good program because the program is what drives our success so you just you basically get you know anybody can figure out how to write a program we're not splitting the atom so i think the art of coaching is just something that doesn't exist in the sport of powerlifting um I'd like to hear what you have to say on that too, Vin, because you've been lifting for a while. Yeah. Um, well, I think the, the the two gentlemen you mentioned there, they're like a, if you will, a face behind like a method of training. Um, and people get attached to that and they, they enjoy it and they want to push that on others. And, um, I have a few members at my gym that train, you know, West Side and, I actually had a few few of my lifters now in the in the past they've trained Shaco or some type of small lob or something and when I started to transition them over they um, you know they're actually very pleased with how things were going um, I don't know if that's just because they had someone guiding them or if they just were tired of you know the six days a week that they were training and I brought it down to like say four um, but. Um, as an athlete and a coach, um, I'll touch base on that too. It's, you know, you wear a lot of hats at times and we've had discussions and, uh, I've noticed you, you, I mean, I'm just assuming here, but you seem to be a little more lenient with me 
um, on my decision making in my training um, than maybe you are with with other athletes on the team. But I could just be wrong there. Nope, um, that's true. And same with John. John gets a lot of leeway too. Yeah. So. We'll see. Um, but but yeah, it's it's different because. Um, you know, I think it takes time to develop, obviously, the relationship with the coach. And, you know, for me, I was stepping away from another coaching situation with, with Jason and, and the strength guys. So for me, it was a bit of a transition. And I definitely did things wrong the first week, uh, probably did things wrong the second week. But um, Kevin, you know, kept me on you know the right path. And here we are, you know, I think, what are we like five months in now? close to it at least so uh within that time however i was dealing with that uh silly nagging back whatever the hell you want to call it i guess we could call it an injury but it's more or less just tightness but you know we we stayed the course and we're, we're you know we're, we're doing really well now so um for me there as an athlete i was a little bummed but kevin you know being my coach helped guide me there um and now it, like it helped me learn um, in situations like that to, uh, you know, help my athletes as well. So I think there's a lot, again, you can take away from being an athlete and a coach at the same time and just finding the middle ground there and, and just use each day as a learning experience and then try to help teach your, your athletes as well. Yeah, I couldn't uh, agree more with that. Like I've always taken on lifting to get better as a coach, which is probably why like progress has stalled a little bit. Um, for me with my lifts is because I don't, it's hard to transition from coaching mode to lifting mode. Um, especially like where I lift here and stuff too. My phone's always going off. Like I have this, like, it's hard for me to like push work away for a few minutes while I like try to get my head right and and get my lifts. But I also think too, as a coach, it's important to be in the trenches with your lifters, right? For buy-in. Um, I remember, I heard Joe Ken talk a long time ago now, maybe over 10 years ago now, but he was talking about how when he was in the NCAA, like he, he played division one football. So they, there was already that automatic buy-in um, because he was one of them at one point. So they respected him and everything else. When he took that next leap into the NFL, he said he had to find other ways because he had never played in the NFL. He never got to that level. So to get their respect, he felt it was important for him to, you know, tighten up that belt, get in there and, you know, put forth that effort. He doesn't have to outlift them or anything, um, but to actually have that effort in front of them and be in the trenches working hard to, to get that respect. And I think, I think that part's huge. Like I know, so like for me, I haven't hit a PR on any of my lifts in a year. So when somebody starts bitching about a down performance day, I can basically be like, fuck you. I haven't hit a PR since last year. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, Oh yeah, you're right. So I'll stop complaining to you. So like, I, th- I think, you know, I'm half joking with that, but I think, you know, just having those experiences, they understand that you've gone through the same thing. You have their best interests and it, it just, it helps those conversations um, flow a lot more. Uh, do you agree, John? Yeah. I mean, the, the same exact thing happened to me yesterday. I had taught that first course all weekend and I come back in on Monday and I overshoot my squat and I overshoot my top sit on bench. <laughs> so I missed both. And if anybody wanted to be mad and sit around the gym and sulk, it could have been me, but you just, you just don't do that. 
and it gave me an opportunity to, I've always been a lead by example type. And it was actually a flaw for a long time because I wouldn't say anything. I would just think people were paying attention. But it gave me an opportunity for conversation when people were getting frustrated or, you know, they, they miss a rep or they're overanalyzing a rep to go, look, I, I got crushed worrying about it. I'm going to go kill it on Wednesday, kill it on Thursday and be fine. Like, just get over it. It's we're lifting weights. Um, so it, I think it helps. And I think especially as hard as we train, it's good for them to see what a 10 looks like every now and then from their coach to get under a bar and, and push really, really, really hard. And to, to put forth the effort that you expect them to put forth, it gives them a frame of reference, an external frame of reference for them to work towards and, and better understand. I was actually talking about this with uh, one of the lifters here the other night, like, how many of your lifters, John, actually lift in the gym as a group, or are they mostly online? Uh, my live, so the ones at 301, they Monday night is pretty much when everybody's in there. So there's 20, 20 lifters all at the same time between 4.30 and 6.30 lifting. And they sprinkle in at different times, so we'll have people squatting and some people benching, but a lot of them are in there at the same time. And then my online lifters are outside of a handful of them are not local, but close enough where if we have like a meet in Virginia, then a bunch of them will come. So they get to, to compete next to the live lifters, which, which helps a lot. And then that, they just start pushing envelopes at that point. Cause they, they, but they all know how hard they train. So next thing you know, we're on third attempts and people are like calling moonshots and just, <laughs> you know, grinding a 9.89 RPE. I mean, they're just pushing as hard as they can before they fail. Um, so it just builds that camaraderie and effort is probably the best way to put it. Yeah. We get a lot, we get a lot to train as a group. So, and I know Vin, a lot of your lifters train at Kenmore Barbell with you and stuff and i know like i was having this conversation because one of my lifters mike he's like he's like i really feel like the group is like the key to our success and you know when i started to think about it you know perceived effort is everything right so if you're if you take a set and you perceive it to be a nine nine and a half but i'm like put some weight on that bar that wasn't a nine and everybody's like yo that was fucking easy put some weight on the bar and then they're cheering you on and stuff. So then you, you add two and a half to 5% or something to that bar. You go and you smoke it. And now that's a nine, nine and a half. You literally just changed perceived effort. You're training your brain to perceive that effort at higher weights on that given day because you had people that helped, that helped push you. So then like you're just kind of taking what your RPEs would be. and You're just driving them a little bit higher. And like honestly, for me, I think that is... One of the most important aspects of the way that we train. Um, do you guys see similar things out there in uh, Buffalo, Vin? Yeah, we have uh, a few days out of the week where there's a uh, good amount of lifters training together, usually Tuesdays, uh, Thursdays, and Saturday mornings. 
Um, and then the other days people just, you know, they trickle in here and there and usually I'm there. Sometimes I'm not. Uh, but in the, in the cases where there is a big group there, it, it certainly helps them push each other. Um, and it's, it almost takes that responsibility away from me where I don't need to, you know, say, Hey, you should, you could, you could go heavier there. Why don't we add more weight? Um, it's more of the group, like you said, pushing each other and, you know, people are just getting stronger, you know, through, through, through the group. And it, it's just fun to watch. You kind of sit back and just watch it all unfold and how they interact with each other. It's, it's kind of, it's taking the individualness of powerlifting and creating a team. And I think that's, that's pretty neat. So I know for me, when I had started, so, you know, coming from an MMA background, like even though you're in there by yourself, like it takes a team to help like prep you and get you ready. And like, and I always felt like words of encouragement from them at given times are just like, you know, even if like, you know, there are times you just keep getting caught in the same thing and it's like, fuck, like, why is this happening? I don't understand. And like just having somebody else's perspective to be like, Hey, try this instead. Like it always gave me that motivation to like keep moving forward. And I think, you know, especially the way that we train where we come in and, you know, I know we say have no expectations when you come into the gym, warm up, make good decisions, live in the moment, all those things, but we're all human. Like we all have a number in our head when we, when we start lifting. And sometimes, you know, you take that second to last warm up and you're like, fuck, that was heavy. And then you go up and then you end up getting stapled and then you feel like shit. But there's also that instead of allowing that to kind of steamroll into the next lift or into the next training day, like I feel the group also like helping take that negative, get them out of that negative mindset, kind of be like, Hey, this is just what happened. Maybe back off, hit, hit this, do this. Like they help get that win and get them in the right frame of mind so that you don't get consecutive bad lifts or consecutive bad training days because you're, you know, harping on some uh, negative aspect that kind of happened in training. And like, for me as a coach, I'm sure you guys can second this, like for me to be able to sit back and just kind of like watch everybody just help each other and like, you know, do all the things themselves and, you know, Hey, should I go up? What should I take for weight? What do you think about this? Like, it, it's pretty cool to see. I think those lifters that are giving those answers, that's how, that's how they enhance their training skill too, because now they're like, not responsible for somebody else, but kind of responsible for somebody else to help make those, um, to help make those decisions. And I think we're, you know, both of you guys have been lifting for a long time. I, you know, I'm going to kind of turn this into lifting, but I want you to talk about how your training skills improved over time and how you try to teach that same level of day-to-day decision-making uh, to your lifters. And we'll start with you, John. How my training has in- impacted my coaching? Is that so what like, you're asking? Yeah, so like over time, right, your training skill. Like when you come in, something feels like shit. You make a, you make a decision on you know, maybe you call an audible and instead of taking straight weight, like sometimes I'll have people here, they can't hit a top single. It looks like shit. We'll work down, maybe put some accommodating resistance on it so that when they work up to that top single, it's even heavier at the top than what they, what they couldn't hit before. Like just getting those wins on a day-to-day basis in training, how it's helped you kind of navigate those day-to-day adjustments. Um, this is actually a kind of hard question for me because one of the things that I struggle with is because I wrestled for so long and I've been lifting for so long, I have a really 
poor perception on my own mindset because I just, I make the adjustments almost unconsciously and just go, um, especially with weightlifting because weightlifting is actually, weightlifting training is so similar to the way that we train powerlifting in, in this particular group right now that we're talking about. You know, you work up to heavy stuff pretty much all the time and you just, it kind of comes with the territory that stuff's not going to be there all the time. So you just kind of shake it off and it could get frustrating. Yeah. But um, I actually struggle a little bit as a coach with people who get stuck in that because it's just like my, I guess my training skill has gotten to the point where I, I pretty much know what I got in me that day. And if like yesterday, my energy level just wasn't there. Like I was fatigued. I was tired from, I wasn't fatigued from lifting i was just mentally burnt out from way too much caffeine over the weekend losing sleep from nerves to drive to and from philly and that's a day where i just go to the top set and if i hit it i don't you know i try to gauge it well and then i i, I just move on to the next thing there's other times where my energy level is high enough and i'm like i can work back down and definitely come back up and hit that crap you know yeah but it's, it's sometimes for me, it's hard to communicate because I've just kind of always been that way. Um, and, and I've always viewed training as that. It's just like, well, all right, well, you can try again or just leave it for another day. <laughs> um, so it's hard for me to actually transition that. That's why it's a difficult question for me. What about you, Vin? Um, well, my training skill has definitely improved probably the most in the past five months. Um, ironically enough, the amount of time we've been working together. And I think a lot of it has to do with the, the way your programs are laid out. Um, but also I've been training alongside my athletes more frequently, uh, when I can. So you touched on being like in the trenches with them and, you know, I, I don't think you can get any more in the trenches than just actually training with them, um, day to day and, you know, they make, you know, mistakes, they make a, a bad call on, uh, hey, you know, I should go to this for the top set, or hey, I feel great today, let me go a little heavier, maybe they miss. Um, you know, I've been there too. Um, I've had more days where I felt really good. And I just pushed the top set, you know, well above what it was prescribed at. Um, I don't know if that was partly just due to me not thinking I could do it going into the session and then realizing I had it in me as the session, you know, went on, or if I just had a good mindset going in and I just knew I could do more than, than what was prescribed. Um, but yeah, my training skill, honestly, it was, it was awful in the, in the beginning. Um, had a lot of like just doubt or, you know, I always felt like I was doing enough, but maybe I wasn't. And, you know, my, my progress wasn't as, as great as it could be. Um, you know, or you can call that sandbagging, I guess. Um, but yeah, in the past five months, I've really been able to just kind of push myself more, uh, mentally, um, even on the days where things do feel like garbage and, uh, I attribute that to, to, to you, but also like just my athletes and watching them push themselves, you know, when they're having a bad day. So that's helped me. And I think it's helped them as well, which has been, you know, a pretty cool trade-off. Yeah, PRs are, are contagious. I remember when, so when, you know, similar to how you were doing it before, Vin, like when I laid everything out for them, 
um, you know, they just came in and just, just followed directions basically. And then they would, they would leave. Um, I realized when I started switching to putting them in the driver's seat that some of them had a very hard time. Like, and I'm talking like some of my more stronger lifters had a very hard time of making decisions on a day-to-day basis for themselves. Um, and I found this extremely interesting that like, they just, they, even though they've been lifting for a period of time, they're at a certain level and they just, they couldn't decide what weight to put on the bar and stuff. And I don't think that it's a, um, a coincidence that once they started to figure out those things that all of a sudden, like some of their lifts just started blowing up. Um, which to me was like very unique, um, to see at the same time. And, you know, one of the things that I try to do, I don't even know if I've ever said this aloud before, except maybe in the gym here, but like, this is what I do when I'm lifting. It's kind of what I've always done in in sports. And like what I try to like gauge from each lifter when I have a conversation is to assess mind, body, and spirit. So like, you know, coming back from vacation, my mind was just, it was hard to get under heavier weights. My body felt tired, but my spirit was good. So like, you know, taking something in, I'm leaving, I'm leaving on a win if that happens. Like, hey, you know, I, I can find my win. If, if my, my mind's hurting, my body's hurting, my spirit's hurting, that's when, like, I try to adjust something so that I can at least get my spirit and my mind in the right, in the right position to help with the next training day. And I kind of try to do this with my lifters is, you know, like, body. Like, you know, if they'll, does anything hurt? Um, you know, how do you feel? These types of things you know, try to gauge their mind and just kind of try to gauge where their spirit's at and like try to make decisions based off of that to try to at least direction them, you know, maybe their body feels like shit, but if we poke the bear a little bit, maybe we can get that to be a little bit more resilient. If their mind's hurting and it's just, they're perceiving weights to feel heavier than what they should. Well, maybe we can poke that bear a little bit. And if we hit something decent, like we get the right weight on the bar there, we can get that positive spirit to move forward and, and keep that like that positive training moving in, in the right direction. Like I think it's important to leave every day on some type of win. Um, and like for me, you know, when I had first started, that absolutely would not be the case. Like literally follow the fucking program. If it's on there, just do it. Like you'll be fine. And it, it's, it's crazy to look back now and just see how like how opposite it is. But if you look at it and I explain it to somebody, there's a lot of the same um, pieces in it that were there before. Um, and I kind of want to, I would assume it's pretty similar for you guys that a lot of the same pieces that you started with is still in your programs. And we'll start with you, John. Some of the things that I've started with are still in my programs. Yeah. Like I know for me, like we still like Shaco still has a huge influence on the way that I write my programs, even though you may not be able to see it initially from it. But if I sat down and I just said, you know, I took out a number of lifts and just, we do hard sets instead of that. Now, a lot of the exercises are the same. We still do the double lift days occasionally. Um, like it's still heavily influenced from where I started, but it's just kind of like this manipulated version of that initial um, piece. Or have you just completely like thrown out everything you used to do and almost like started over at one point? I've started over multiple times. All right. Um, Especially because in the beginning I was powerlifting and then switched to weightlifting and I took a lot of weightlifting influence 
when I came back into powerlifting. So originally with powerlifting, it was just basically I had a squat day, a bench day, and a deadlift day. And that's pretty much how I trained because that's what you would read on like some starting strengths forums and, and team nation forums. And you know, I was a, a kid in grad school. I was 20. You're doing, you know, anything you can find. And then when I took weightlifting seriously and, and really that's where I started coaching in strength sports, you've got, you know, snatch and snatch variations and a bunch of different variations to build the snatch and the clean and jerk. And you can do, you know, snatch and jerk in one day and you can clean and jerk and then you can have a jerk day and you can change all these variations and you still have to squat and you still have to front squat. So it exposed me to all this that previously in powerlifting, I had just never seen before. Like, what do you mean you're not doing just the lift? You're doing all this other stuff. So when I came back out, that's when it was like, okay, well, I can squat and bench on the same day, but I can definitely deadlift and bench on the same day. So I'm going to start doing that. And you start seeing growth. Um, and then I used to have a ton of volume for pretty much everything. You always did like a big volume block in the beginning. I've pretty much gotten rid of that except for a couple accessory things if, if it's needed. And for some, some individuals, I don't even know it's needed. So now it's, it's, it's substantially different than it was when I first started and it, in a good way, because now my athletes are more engaged. I think they get more, they find the training more rewarding and we're seeing more consistency in regards to progress, which is basically how I measure all of this. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, that's literally what, uh, what matters. What about you, Vin? Have you kind of um, kind of just manipulated what you started with, or did you start over at one point? Um, a little bit of both. Uh, so a little backstory. When I started working with Jason, I had actually I was doing bodybuilding, uh, believe it or not. And so the training for that was incredibly different. Um, but some of the stuff we had done, such as like tempo work and, and, and whatnot, tons more volume and have what have you. Some of that has, you know, followed me um, to where I am now. Uh, and then when I transitioned into powerlifting with Jason, it was just squat, bench, deadlift, pretty much every session. Um, and I was doing that three days a week. Uh, and that, at the time, was all I really knew. So I'm like, well, what the hell? Um, let me implement this with some of my athletes um, and let's just see what happens. And what I found there was I'd have to modify some of the volume for them or even uh, move out a squat bench deadlift day. And maybe they were just doing that once a week. Uh, but those, those uh, style training days have, I haven't thrown them out completely. Um, and there is one athlete in particular who actually still has one strength or uh, squat bench and deadlift day. Um, but it's something I just kind of have on the back burner for now, um, as I've kind of started implementing that more variation with some of my lifters, just from watching, you know, their training and I'm like, well, they're lacking here. There's a weak area, you know, there, what can we do to, to fix that? You certainly can, I guess you can just keep doing the same thing over and over, but you're only going to create, you know, bad habits. So you're not really fixing anything. So I've been a little more inclined now to address it with some sort of variation. And so far I've, I've found pretty good success in, in correcting, you know, those weak areas. 
So I like how you had mentioned that depending on the individual, you, you know, you might have to lower volume, you might have to switch days. Like everything is a tool that we can use at some point to drive progress because, you know, no matter what, if you look at it, you know, like John, when you were saying you were bouncing around from programs, my guess is you started with one program, it stopped working. You went to another, it stopped working. You went to another, you just kept bouncing around. And for some reason that change and stimulus allowed progress to, to move forward. Um, so, you know, I think if we understand that as coaches and, you know, maybe you run something different now, Vin, but like maybe you end up back where you were before for a period of time with somebody else because it's just a new stimulus and it might work. And like, for some reason, your intuition, your gut's telling you that this is the right move. They want to do it. And you're in communication with the lifter and it works. Um, I don't think there are right or wrong answers. It's just, it's more a matter of timing. Um, Am I wrong in assuming that with those programs, John? No, I mean, that's pretty much what I did. Uh, the only thing that I stuck to long-term and this hindsight stuff being 2020 is, is pretty interesting because at the time I hadn't been exposed to enough to really understand what the hell was going on. Um, but I would pretty much run stuff for at least six months. I always gave something a pretty fair shake, obviously, except for small law because it has uh, an actual time to it. Uh, but like with 531, when I first came back into powerlifting out of weightlifting, I ran some some five three one, and I saw some really good progress. And then I got a hip injury, and my progress had stalled a little bit. I was getting a little frustrated. I was thinking about changing the program, and I got a hip injury and had to bring my stance out really really wide because that was what was pain free or at least manageable symptoms. And my squat blew up again and everything else started to move again. Um, and now looking back at it, it's like, well, there's novelty there. There's also, there was a lot of space for growth there. And then I switched back and forth between a bunch of different variations. And if I'd have had any idea what I knew now, it would have made three more years of progress, probably <laughs> mental progress a little easier. Um, but yeah, that, that was part of the, the process for me was all that constant change, the constant just learning and, and understanding the structures of those programs. Cause now I can look back and say, there's, there's some definitive things about all of them that are very close to the same, which a lot of people don't understand. Vin mentioned earlier about Chico and Louie being the faces of particular programs that everybody considers to be standalone pillars of progress or really if you break them down to fundamental principles they're really not that far off from each other no they actually use both of them use 60 percent variation within their programs how shako after he had met louis simmons was explaining the difference between west side and what he does he said the difference was a focus on strength or a focus on technique Right. So like I've been, that has literally resonated with me ever since he had said that. And like, until recently, I I wasn't too sure on what to take from it. And, you know, Vin, Jason has a ton of success. I mean, Taylor Atwood won best lifter at IPF worlds. Like clearly what that kid's doing seems to be. Yeah, definitely. He definitely has something figured out. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, I found it to, I mean, at times I was getting, just perpetually injured with his with his training and I'm not blaming that on him it could be more of me honestly 
but um, it just wasn't, it just kind of stopped working for me. So I had to find something different and here we are and things are, things are going well. So I think with like a program like Jason does. So I think there's two ends of the spectrum, right? There's duration and there's intensity. Like if you're going to do a higher volume program, you better be hitting higher volumes to get those, those efforts, right? I think of it as like marathon and sprint. Everything else in between, you're just going to be in this weird middle ground where you're just going to get stuck. You're not going to see those, those outcomes. I think where the higher volume gets just a little bit dicey is as a coach, it's impossible to know what that, what that baseline number is. You have an idea in your head and you can try to track it all you want, but it gets, it gets extremely difficult at times to try to figure out where that lifter needs to be. Um, you know, I think heavier weights have an emotional response that carries over into a competition skill and like there are other factors and stuff. But I think if you are going to do a higher volume program, it has to be high volume, high duration. Um, that makes sense to me. Or, you know, if we're getting one to two exposures of each exercise in a training period, it has to be fucking heavy. It can't be this in between, se- you know, seven and eight. It's got to be that around a nine, nine and a half to get those training adaptations so I think, you know, you get the two bookends that are going to yield really good results. And like for me personally, I'd rather be in the gym less time um, than have to do all that high volume. But if you want to do high volume, it can be very successful um, as long as you kind of keep this in mind. I think what may have been happening to me was I was in that middle range somewhere. Like I wasn't pushing volumes to the extent in which I should have been pushing them in order to drive that progress, which led me more to the like in- intensity stuff. Um, but that's that's just a thought. I don't know if that's that's true or not. Um, John, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there are certain personality types that gravitate towards a higher volume. And one of the things that at least I notice with athletes, you have mentioned an emotional response to heavier lifting. There's a level of intent that is brought when the bar is going to be heavy. So if you're doing a set of three, you know that, rep one from three is probably going to be hard. Um, When you're doing sets of 10, you get athletes that just kind of look at it in the beginning of the set as survival. And it's like, okay, one through five, it it is what it is. And the last five are hard. Uh, They don't come with intent for the first five and get the same emotional response. Now, if you look at some lifters who are very successful with high volume, uh, like I look at Charlie, as a, as a good example, because Taylor, I don't follow as closely. Um, but like Charlie, Charlie comes after lifts from rep one to rep 15. It doesn't matter. He's attacking and he, he, he'll make them all look identical and really bring some ferocity and intensity to those high rep sets. But that seems to be a really consistent thing with people who have success with that high volume training for other individuals you might need to like you're talking about elicit that emotional response via intensity in and of itself like this is going to be heavy you better figure this shit out where other guys can just guys and girls can just turn it on for a higher volume set i I think you're onto something there like taylor to me when i see his training videos and stuff him and Charlie, I think, are very, very similar in there. Um, they got the same scowl. Yeah, exactly. They, I mean, maybe it, maybe it's that's a set of the 15, key. and they're looking at it like it stole something. 
Like, do you know more about Taylor's training, Vin? Yeah, I mean, it's – I can't – I don't want to say it was similar to mine, but I'm, I'd imagine it wasn't far off. Um, I would imagine he's probably doing more sets um, than I was at times. But, yeah, it's pretty pretty similar, and there's a lot of SBD days. And the kid just the kid just puts the work in. I mean, that's, that's really what it came down to, I think, for him. So – um, I was fortunate enough to have him at my gym a couple times and I was able to train with him once and the kid just, the kid just works. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. So, um, the success he's having isn't, you know, it's not, it's not because it was handed to him. The kid works hard and he, you know, he deserves it all. So probably doesn't matter what program either one of those two are running. They're going to get strong as shit just because they bring that attitude, that effort, that consistency, um, each, each day to training and, you know, at the end of the day, that's that might be all that matters. Um, do you guys have any final thoughts before we uh, close things up here? Dan, no? what do you think, man? I, I, I don't have anything. I think we covered just about it all. Yeah, right. So uh, well, I, I have a question, though. Yeah. As, as the two athletes of the coach on the podcast, what direction are you currently moving in right now, Kev? What are you influenced the most by that's training, changing your coaching philosophy currently? Oof. Oof. So, you know, for me. Talked about the past. Let's talk about the future. <laughs> so I used to, when I first started, it's like I would try to attach myself to coaches that were, you know, obviously I asked Shaco a lot of questions and stuff and we had communication and like, I would ask other coaches like questions and stuff. And then that moved on from doing that to actually like searching for answers myself and kind of doing my own thing. And like now I'm more like in the future, it's just like, I have these lists of questions. So I honestly, I think training, I think it uses very few physiological resources. Um, I think it is 99% psychological so one of the things uh, i guess i can put this on the uh on the podcast i was kind of keeping this quiet a little bit as i worked out some of the logistics one of the things i want to start doing is fucking with mental fatigue so like giving people like crossword puzzles or sudoku or like i was joking around with the group in here calling it operation gomer pile like they just come in they get no support from the group they sit alone they do their crossword puzzles and like we just get that rpe of lighter weights we just jack it up knowing that we're not changing physiological response and we just train that mental toughness like in the gym obviously they'd have to be with me in the group so that we can tell them what what weight to put on the bar um and stuff like that but uh i i honestly like you know i had a conversation with vincinello a couple uh a couple months ago and like that dude was just mindset is he was 100% it was about mindset and I remember like on Mike's podcast hearing Bo Moore say that Ray Williams never squats a thousand pounds without him squatting 800 and that's true like these records are broken because you see these bigger weights it releases the mind to understand that you know hey this is possible and like that's you know and like it just it keeps raising that bar up and up and up and I, I'm not sure there's even a limit that you can put on that strength but I think the limit is 100% psychological um, like we've seen this with the fatigue stuff in the gym being able to lift heavy every single day um, so that's kind of you know I'm kind of more interested in those uh, psychological aspects of uh, of training and just and doing something pun intended here fucking nuts to see if it actually uh if it actually works out does that make sense 
Yeah, I just sent you a paper on contextual interference effects on the bench on skill acquisition. So check that out, and we'll, we'll keep thinking about that because that's actually a pretty interesting concept. Yeah, I mean, they do it a lot in endurance sports, and the, the literature is, you know, when you, like, there are people who can run 100-mile races. You can do a heavy fucking triple in the squat. Like, to me, like, physiologically, it just doesn't make sense that like we're burning up all these resources and like even if your nervous system so like the bulgarian weightlifting i mean clearly like my program is heavily influenced by weightlifting even though i've never done the sport but like the bulgarians and like a lot of the other weightlifters i remember like wasn't it max ada talking about taking like heavy squat singles like eight times a day for like 10 fucking years like you know he's still alive to talk about it so like I don't know, man. There's just like, I have all these questions. I don't have any answers. And hopefully in the future, we start doing something a little, uh, little off the rails, I guess a little, little even more off the rails than we are now. So that should make the trolls that I have on IG a little more happy. Well, they already love you, man. <laughs> I can't wait to see how many more I have on that freaking post. Oh, uh, it's just going to get better, dude. Yeah, no, exactly. It's all good. Progress is moving forward. Let's, uh, Let's let everybody know where they can find you guys on the internet. Uh, we'll start with you, Vin. Uh, yeah, so I mainly use just Instagram. You could find me there at vin.kenmorebarbell. Um, if you wanted to, you could shoot me an email as well. Um, you can find all my information on my Instagram page. And uh, that's about it. I don't really use any other social media. <laughs> so. And if you're in Buffalo, New York, hit up Kenmore Barbell, right? Yeah, yeah, there too. So that works. <laughs> John? Uh, primarily my Instagram on rebuild stronger online and then also the clinical athlete podcast and through the clinical athlete network. And you can find me KW can our team precision powerlifting systems. I don't use anything else either. Uh, stay strong, Boston. <laughs>